Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast show, a podcast that helps foster respect through inclusion, service, and equity. Now here's your host, Stacey Hegarty. Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm Stacey Hegarty, Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Today joining us is Norma Stanley, the CEO and founder of EEE Marketing Group. Welcome, Norma. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. First of all, EEE Marketing, what does it stand for? Enlightened, empowered, and enriched. And that's really what I want to be able to do when it comes to the disability community, helping companies understand who the population is and why they need to be included in their marketing strategies and helping them to grow their businesses. So let's talk about what is it that EEE Marketing Group does? How do you work with your clients? Who comes to you for assistance in making sure that the disability community is included? Well, companies and organizations come to me who need some guidance as to understanding how they can maximize their potential with this particular consumer segment because it's an untapped consumer segment. And the same way back when I was doing multicultural communications geared towards the African-American community for companies like Coca-Cola and Sara Lee and Gillette Company, people like that, the disability community is now the largest minority population in the nation and actually in the world. But <laughs> so and I, think I saw a statistic that it's like 26% of Americans live with a disability. Does that sound yeah. right? Yes, exactly. And just about, you know, one in every five people has a disability. And one in every three people know someone with a disability. And it is the one community that anyone can join at any time. You know, because life happens. Unfortunately, things happen and you could find yourself with a disability. I, at age 48, got un- adult onset epilepsy. Yeah, came out of nowhere. And so that's life. And you just have to manage that. And I'm no longer on medication for it, but I was on medication for five years. So again, it can happen to anyone. And so that's what I try to help companies understand who the population is, the opportunity to maximize and leverage the viability of this consumer segment. It's a very important consumer segment and helping them to develop marketing strategies. So, you know, like I said, some of the companies, a lot of organizations, nonprofits tend to come to me a lot who work with the disability community, but don't know how to tell their story. Because I'm a journalist at trade, so I help people tell the stories. So that's a lot of what I do is helping them to tell their stories and develop marketing communications programs around it. Coca-Cola is a client, has been a client in the past when I did work with the African-American community. And they asked me to come and speak to their business resource group. They have a business resource group geared towards the disability community. It's called This Ability. Yeah, there's the Mississippi Veterans Organization. It's a healthcare system has asked me to come and speak to their business resource group and employee resource group geared toward the disability communities. I do a lot of speaking about what opportunities are in my life, how I've come to be who I am today, the things that I'm doing, and how companies can maximize their opportunities internally as well as externally. When you're talking about people with disabilities as consumers and how to market so that it's inclusive of that particular community, you know, I think about my days working in higher education and all of our admissions brochures had a very similar photograph somewhere in the materials that always included somebody in a wheelchair. And that was kind of the extent of marketing research that was done on being more inclusive for the disability community. 
I'm hoping that there's more out there than that now. That's been quite a number of years since then. But then I also see marketing pieces and it seems like maybe it hasn't improved all that much. It's still a long way to go. There's so much that people still don't understand about the totality and the various spectrums that they have to cover. You know, the accessibility is more than just being able to, you know, the wheelchair accessibility. And that's an ADA situation. People tend to focus on the compliance of, you know, making sure that, you know, maybe the door is a little wider or whatever they have, but there's so much more that needs to be done to actually be accessible. As a mother of an adult daughter who was born with both intellectual and developmental physical disabilities, there's so many things that I notice as I travel with her and as I just having to do life that companies are just not noticing. Going to the airport, you know, traveling through airports, when you have to go to the bathroom, if you have a child like mine, if the child is no longer a toddler and they're five, six, seven, adult, whatever it is, and they have to use the bathroom, especially, yes, they may have one stall. <laughs> they need more than one stall. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an issue. But again, if the child is little and is no longer in the arms, and lots of parents I know, especially if they have medical fragility, and they have to put them on the floor to change them. So there's so many things that could be addressed and looked at differently if some of these companies would remember to incorporate people who are living that life and who understand the various things that are needed, you know, from the hearing impaired, the visually impaired, you know, all the different aspects of it, the sensory situation, the newer diverse, all those things need to be looked at and considered as you're developing events and when you're developing things like that. So when you're working with a client, is that something that you focus on with them? Working towards basically building some empathy and showing them how to, for lack of a better way of putting it, be in someone else's shoes and be in someone else's position for a moment. I've got a friend who often says, we're all just temporarily abled, yet we all walk around thinking we're going to be perfectly healthy forever and we'll never have any of these challenges. So when your clients are sharing their world with you, their corporate world, whatever that may look like, what kinds of things do you encourage them to do? How do you get them to put themselves in a different mindset that isn't one of someone who is perfectly able? Well, it comes with exposure. It comes with education and we do workshops. We do, you know, help them to understand the consumer itself. $500 billion is nothing to sneeze at right here in the U.S. Just 64 million people. It's a lot of people. And then you're talking about their family and their friends network. If you're talking about, you know, even globally, that adds a whole nother group of people that you're not thinking about. Let's say globally is 2.2 million people. So, I mean, a billion actually. So the point is the money is there. The consumers are there. They're becoming a lot more vocal and they understand what they bring to the table from economic standpoint, and they're no longer willing to stay untapped and, you know, behind the scenes and people just basically ignoring the fact that they exist. You know, families like mine are becoming a lot more vocal on behalf of our family members. And so companies need to understand that and they need to maximize it. And it's not something that's cost prohibitive. It could be, it's very cost efficient. They just need to make sure that we are a part of what they're trying to do when they're putting together their marketing programming. Let's talk about the cost involved in this, because what I hear from clients or others out in the world sometimes is, oh, you know, the ADA, they make us make reasonable accommodations and those are expensive. They aren't really. No, they're not. Not usually. 
No, they're not. And that's really just an excuse for them not to do what they know they're supposed to do. It's unfortunate because it's all about the bottom line. And if they just make reasonable accommodations and possibly a little bit more basic things, you know, having an interpreter at events, because you never know who could use an interpreter. So just make sure that you have one when you're doing these big events you know, with the alternate text, things that need to be done. There's so many different things that won't really cost a lot of money. By adding those small little adjustments, you encourage families like mine to feel like we count and that our family members are important to you and that this community is important to you. And you understand that we are viable, that as a community, they are viable and their dollars mean as much as anybody else's dollars. So those are, you know, some of the things that companies tend to push to the side as too expensive. It really isn't. They just need to have a better understanding of how they can do it as cost efficiently as possible and still maximize the moment and the opportunity to sell their products and services. If you could get organizations, whether in the US or globally, to really embrace just one aspect of being part of the disability community, what would you tell them to do? If we can do one thing, if they can just open up the same thing we used to tell them when they were focusing on the African-American community, when they want to do target marketing is first of all, understand the consumer, know who the consumer is, know that it's not a monolith. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different things going on within that consumer segment and understand those various things, those nuances. And it does come with some education. That's why, you know, we do training on that, you know, understanding that consumer segment is important and understanding who within that consumer segment, because the disability community incorporates everybody, every ethnicity, every race, every socioeconomic background. So you have to, you know, if sexual orientations, different things, you have to understand who we are as a population, but also all the various nuances within that and try to work to develop programming that can open up the doors to more opportunities for those consumers to see that you are serious about your approach to this consumer segment. What are some of the things that you train organizations on? Because what EEE Marketing Group does is really so much more than marketing, at least in my opinion, this appears to be really in depth to help people connect on a much deeper level with what is probably the most intersectional community out there, the disability community. As you mentioned, every other community has disabled members within it. So let's talk about the training that you offer to get organizations in that mindset. Well, it's the motivation, the message, the money, <laughs> the media. <laughs> There's like four or five M's. There's a lot of different components to it. But basically, we help them understand who the market is. So it's the market, the message, the motivation, the money, and the media. And understanding all the different things and all the different components that play into those five things and helping them develop programming, integrated programming that includes advertising, that includes public relations, you know, community outreach. You know, that's one of the things when I was working with one of my former companies and they were trying to reach out to the African-American consumer segment way back about 25 years ago now, you know, by my boss, the guy who I worked for, he started his own company, but he came out of Coca-Cola and he started the ethnic marketing division for Coca-Cola. And they hired him as a consultant after he left and started his own business. But the Essence Music Festival is alive today because we brought that to them. Because, you know, part of the community, we know what families, people like us want. 
And it's the same thing with the disability community. I'm in that community. My daughter is a wheelchair user. She's, you know, intellectually delayed. She's 33, but she doesn't really talk. She has good comprehension, but not as someone who is 33. I want her to have the best life possible. So my goal is to maximize her opportunity. I want her to have a great experience when she travels with me. We went to Las Vegas a few months ago and I love to walk. So I'm pushing her in the wheelchair and there comes a certain point where you can't go anywhere because the elevator wasn't working and I could go up the steps, but she couldn't. So we had to turn around and go the other way to get to the other side of that street. And it's like, well, how, you know, things had just started opening up back up after COVID. How do they not know that the elevators are not working? And it's not just for people with disabilities. The senior citizens can't do all those stairs either. <laughs> you know, so certain things that people tend to, if you're not in that mindset, you won't notice it. And that's why you have to have people who are always thinking about what if, how they can improve that particular situation for someone with, you know, mobility issues or hearing issues or visual issues, things like that. You brought something up that I want to talk about a little bit, and that's how oftentimes when society makes changes to be more accommodating to folks with disabilities, whether that's a physical disability or something else, it provides a greater good for all of society. You know, there's been lots of studies on the cutouts on the sidewalks to allow for wheelchair access and how much better that's been for everyone. Exactly. And in the housing market, in the you know, developers, real estate developers, I think they need to think more about people in, who are wheelchair users, who are senior citizens. I know that it costs a little bit more to make one level buildings, but as we get older, going up and down those stairs, it's a little challenging. So we need to do more one level. I love ranch, ranch style homes now. You know, so yes, think about including those kinds of details and it would benefit a lot more people. I can't think of a situation where a change has been made out in our physical world that was to accommodate people with disabilities that didn't actually contribute to a better quality of life for everybody. Absolutely. And if people who, you know, care about, and that's part of the challenge, I think, the society, not enough people care about each other, I think, in general, (laughs) you know, truly care. And that's a problem. That's a societal issue. But I think those of us who are trying to make a difference have to stay kind of vocal. We have to really just keep, you know, sounding that horn to say, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, you hadn't thought about this and you need to think about this because it will benefit everyone, not just our community, but everyone for, you know, to, to include us. I know whenever I see people with disabilities in commercials, I get excited. Whenever I see them in TV shows. I get excited. My daughter and I, by the grace of God, had an opportunity to be on the NBC show called Ordinary Joe. It was actually her opportunity. I was just there pushing her in the wheelchair. But I'm part of a nonprofit called Show Ability, and it's geared toward helping people with disabilities get an opportunity to show whatever gifts and talents they have. And so we got a casting call. They wanted some people to be background in the TV show, Ordinary Joe. And we got a call. And so my daughter was able to go and be a part of that. And it was an all day shoot. And to tell you the truth, there were like nine of us who came from this organization to be a part of that day's work. And my daughter and I were the only ones that I saw that made it into the final cut. (laughs) It was quick. It was quick. We had to go to a disability expo. They were shooting a disability expo that day. And there were different shoots and different segments they were shooting. But in the final cut of the show, my daughter and I were the only ones who seemed to have made it in that quick 
very quick <laughs> scene that they showed, but it was so cool. And that was her first paycheck. And now she's registered with Central Casting, which is a major casting studio. And so it was a very beautiful thing. And so those kind of opportunities need to happen more. And it's beautiful to see what they're doing now, you know, in Hollywood and some of the entertainment arenas. But that's accessibility is still an issue behind the scenes and in front of the audience in, for audiences. In some places, they only have a couple of seats for people with wheelchairs. That's not enough. You know, you need a few more because they, we come with our families. We come with, so if they're in the production, they can't bring their network because there's only, and their friends are in wheelchairs too. So they just need to make us, but especially when they're building new venues. So accessibility in the entertainment arena is also another area. There's a lot of different areas. I, the entertainment area, the travel, food and beverage. I went to restaurants. I'm a foodie. I love to eat. I love to cook. And I'm a good cook. So I know food and I love to go to great restaurants and I take my daughter with me. And sometimes you go into the restaurant and they're not laid out in such a way so that the wheelchair can go through. And I found that we had to, you know, a couple of times that has happened. Sometimes there's no elevator to go. To. The bathroom is upstairs and there's no elevator. That happens a lot. You'd be surprised, you know, what you find as you travel. If I didn't have a daughter who comes with me almost everywhere that is in a wheelchair, I probably wouldn't notice it either. But because I do, I notice it wherever I go. What about employers who are trying to do a better job of not only hiring people with disabilities, but making the workplace an inclusive and equitable place for their employees with disabilities or their employees who perhaps have a family member like you do with a disability that while that person is not coming to work with them necessarily, it may have an impact on that person's work schedule on their availability on appointments that they might have. And I know a lot of your work has been in the diversity, equity and inclusion space. So how do you get employers to start really thinking about their employees who are part of the disability community? It's my story because everything I do now comes from having my daughter who is now 33 years old. And when I had her, I was 30. And I was working at Arby's in the communications department at the time. And I'll never forget that the EVP of marketing came to me after I, you know, it took me nine months before they actually told me she had disabilities and that we had to start the therapies, which we had to be twice a week. And I had to take off early twice a week. And it was such a blessing that the EVP came to my office personally to say, whatever it is that you need for your child, we are behind you. Don't worry about having to leave a little early. You do what you need to do for your child. And that was such a major weight off of my shoulder. Cause I mean, I didn't know how I was gonna be able to do that and still do my job. I worked even harder for that company after he did that. You know, he shared that with me. I didn't feel like I was cheating them by having to take my daughter to her therapies twice a week. And that was a blessing. And I share that whenever I speak, and I'm being asked to speak a lot because companies need to understand how they can support the employees who may have children like us too. And generally that's, that's a good percentage of their employee base, but do they ask, <laughs> you know, ask the question, how can we help? You know, that's one thing I, you know, with Coca-Cola, they have a whole group of, they call it the core network. They have a division that's geared towards parents of children with disabilities, but I think it's very cool. 
And I actually have just started, I'm in my process of putting together a course for parents of children with disabilities from birth to adults. And, you know, just kind of maneuvering and how to navigate some of the challenges that we face. That for new parents, it can be daunting. And it can be daunting for parents who of children like mine, who I'm her primary caregiver. And I have to stay healthy so that I can maneuver all the ways and different things that need to be done for her. So there's so many different things. But with Coca-Cola and some of the other companies that I work with, you know, I basically know that there are busy parents who some of them have to work, some of them caregivers. And so I just started, this is my second month, but it's called Tips and Tools and conversations and for parents of children with disabilities. And we just share information. A lot of this information is going to be in my course, but you know, like this month is dealing with choosing a childcare facility because a lot of childcare facilities, they don't take our children, especially if they're medically fragile or have, you know, sensory issues or have behavior issues. It's very challenging trying to find someone that you can trust to take care of your child while you're at work or whatever you have to do. So I'm having an expert come in and, and talk about that this month. Last month, it was planning financial preparation. You know, what to do, God forbid, if something happens to the parent, how is your child going to be taken care of? We talked about it. So every month's going to deal with a different topic. My course probably won't be ready till June, but I'm bringing some certain things that are going to be covered in the course. So, you know, it's something that I feel, as you can tell, kind of passionate about because there's so many parents who seem to be falling through the cracks and it bothers me. They don't feel that they have any help. And with all these organizations out here, they're falling through the cracks. And I don't understand how that is, but it's a reality. I think what you said about, you know, sometimes just asking how can we help is what a parent in crisis needs, especially in the early days when you're just learning about your child's disability and how your life is now different and your child's life is now different and what that will mean for the foreseeable future, whether it's a temporary disability or something much more long-term like your daughter. Absolutely. When we were nine months old, when we finally were referred to a neurologist, I was noticing things when she was about four months old because I'm a reader. I was reading, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and all the different milestones that she's supposed to be having. And I didn't see them. And there were two other women who had children a month apart from when I had mine. And they were coming to work, saying their children were doing all these things. It's like, well, Sierra's not turning over and she's not moving. And she was spastic. So her arms were always like this. And when they kept saying all children develop at their own pace, so give it time. It wasn't until she was nine months, they said, well, it's time to go to a neurologist. And so we started the therapies at nine months. And it was at 12 months when they said, well, she has something called microencephaly, which is a small brain. And, you know, you're probably going to take care of her the rest of her life. And so that was hard to hear. And it took a minute for us to get over that shock. But we had to regroup and figure out how we're going to make it work for all of us. And so that's what I did. And my husband did the same thing. And, you know, so many families come together and some families don't. My mom, love my mom, but she didn't understand that Sierra had disabilities. She thought it was a curse. We come from the Caribbean and that's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how they think back in the day. She thought it was a curse. So it's an education process. And I had to learn more about that whole, the community before I can start sharing how awesome the community really is. And so that's what I do. That's what I live for now is to be able to tell all the various stories. There's so many wonderful stories, so many people who are doing some amazing things in their communities and the traditional media still doesn't talk about it as often as they should. You know, Mother's Day is coming up and 
Sierra doesn't understand Mother's Day. And so that bothered me for a long time. So I started a little event about it just with other mothers. It was just encouraging them for them to understand that you're not alone at this time. And so it was called Exceptional Moms. Now it's called Exceptional Parents. So we include the dads. So there's a lot of great dads out there doing their thing with their children too. So I did it for about seven or eight years. I'm actually going to be doing it. It's going to be a pay-per-view for this year. We recorded something and it's going to have entertainment and it's going to have some different speakers from dealing with self-care and different things. And it's going to be on May 7th. But my goal is to hopefully be somebody who can bring hope and continual, like I was sharing with somebody, if it wasn't for Sierra, I probably wouldn't be doing half the things I'm doing now. She's my muse. She gives me the inspiration. She gives me the motivation. If I don't have the best life possible, she can't have the best life possible. And so I try to do what I can to make sure I am maximizing whatever potential and whatever gifts God gave me. So I'm a writer. I'm a singer. I'm a speaker. I do a lot of things. I've always had the gifts. I just never really pursued them until I had Sierra and realized that I have to do something with my life so that she can have the best life possible. And so that's why I became an author and singer and all the different things that I'm doing now. Well, this is a perfect place for us to wrap up our conversation. How can people get in touch with you? I'm excited about the Exceptional Parents event and all of those things. So how can people reach you? Yeah, well, normastanley.com is my website, and you can reach me on LinkedIn as Norma Stanley. You can reach me on Facebook as Norma Stanley or EEE Marketing Group. I'm on Facebook there. And if you feel like calling me, I can give you my number too, but this is my book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. do put it's, that book up here. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I'm putting my book in my CD. Excellent. It's the Elected Lady Finding Victory in the Challenge. And this is a book where I interviewed five different mothers and incorporated my story in it. But it talks about the challenges of being a parent in different perspectives. And it also has poems and some scriptures. I mean, this was my first book, so it was therapeutic for me. And then my next chapter is my CD that came out a couple of years ago that I wrote and sing the lead on. And I'm very excited about that. I did this two years ago. And I, now I'm singing at, at events and doing some of the things I've always wanted to do. But again, it was because my daughter motivates me. I mean, again, if my life is not going the way I need it to go, that puts people in depression. And there's so many mothers dealing with that and dads. So my goal is to help them to see how important they are, how awesome they are, so that their children can feel that same joy and live the best lives possible. Norma Stanley, CEO and founder of EEE Marketing Group. Thank you so much for sharing your energy and your positive outlook with us today. I am walking away from this podcast episode feeling great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, diversity and inclusion should not be treated as a one-off initiative. And so with your help, we can get this message to more people. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.